Hello, everybody, and welcome to This Game Where with me, Ashley. And me, Chris. Hello, everyone. Hope you're okay. Hope you're okay, Ashley. I'm okay. Okay. I'm okay, too. Thanks for asking. I didn't ask. I know you didn't. So, where do we go from here? <laughs> just trying a new, just trying a new, um, a new tack. I'm what? trying a new tack, a, that, a new tactic. Was that staying silent and waiting for me to fill to fill the void? I don't like it. I really don't like it. It's not taking me long to fill the, the silence because how uncomfortable it's making me. I don't like this at all. Please stop. It's just, working now, isn't it? I'm just going to ask you some really probing questions, and then uh, you're going to—I'm going to just be quiet. Well, like Louis Theroux does. I can't remember. Is that who does it? I think everybody does it. I think all of the all of the interviewers do it, don't they? I don't know. I said I, I, I tried then to do a silence for a lull, and I, I couldn't do it. I did about a quarter of a second where I crumbled. Yeah, and even if you had done a really long silence, I could have just edited it out anyway. So it seemed oh. like you. <laughs> Hadn't have done one. <laughs> That's a very good point. Uh, so, um, what's your most harrowing childhood memory? We're doing small talk. This is big talk. The most harrowing childhood memory is a memory that I think is is not actually a memory. It's one that's been implanted because it's become folklore within my family. It was when it was Easter. I was about three or four, and it's probably one of my earliest memories as well. When I was about three or four, and uh, I went through. My parents were in the kitchen to do some washing up and I went through and saw my milky bar Easter egg and I decided to tuck into it. And then my mum came in and saw me and roared, what are you doing? To which I crumbled and just burst into tears. And then she then laughed and took a photo, um, which obviously, you know, back in the late 80s, photos were uh, you know, to take, taken out to boots to get, get it developed. So there's a photo of me about age three clutching a, a milky bar Easter egg, bawling my eyes out. Um, but like I said, because I think because I was three, I don't think I actually remember that. I think I remember it being talked about more than the actual event happening so that's quite harrowing and i can see from your face you weren't into that no on lots of fronts that sounds really awful why the hell did your mum take take a moment to go find it because she'd have had to find a camera she was yeah yeah find a camera and then and then take a photograph of it and then as you say like take it down the shops to get developed mm-hmm. yeah. it's not like now no, it's not like now where you take a take a photo on your phone and it's there straight away. You send it off to Snapfish and they make it into a proper photo. Nobody sends things off to Snapfish. They just Pe- have them all on their phone and never look at them. People do. People Are people do. you? Is that you? Do no, you, I don't. Do, no. do you people? <laughs> do mm. I people? What's your most harrowing memory? Do I want I'm to not answering that. That's what, that was my oh. second. That was my second thing. Like... Why the hell did you answer that? Like, you didn't need to answer that. Why did you answer that? Uh, this is a podcast. It's going to go out into the public domain. It's just, I, I just want to please you. Is that what it is? Was it not so. the silence? I mean, you didn't You didn't even take very long. There wasn't even much of a silence. You were like, oh, harrowing memories. Let's get into them. I, I did think while I started telling that it was it was quite front, front and central, wasn't it? That that was that was just straight away. Oh, yeah, this no digging yeah. at all i mean it was there. to be honest it, in the grand scheme of harrow it's not all that it's not, not no. all that bad but at the same time you know just jump f- two feet first into a deep and personal memory mm. with all the trauma it. i don't know 
video games. Woo! Yeah. Oh, it, video game. Uh, introduce the game while I have a have a moment to reflect on things. Okay. Um, there will be there will be further questions throughout the podcast. Just so you're aware. Oh, um, this week, as well as talking about Chris's trauma, we're going to be talking about this game where two gifted magical warriors journey with friends to prevent the end of the world. Mm, two magical gifted warriors, do you say? Well, I said gifted magical warriors because it tracks warrior. better, but... <laughs> I, I, uh, no, no idea. Ah, Cool. I mean, I'm kind of not surprised because it only came out a couple of weeks ago because it's Sea of Stars. Oh, okay. It's Sea of Stars, right. It's Sea of Stars, yeah. So, Sea of Stars. Wow. Sea of Stars. Ooh. Yeah. Sea of Stars. Whoa. Sea of Stars. Mmm. Sea of Stars that. Yeah, correct. This is you the haven't game played you, it, though, yet. This game you texted me about and gushing about it, and then, then you went quiet. I did wonder if you were going to... Did I? Yeah, I, I did wonder if you're going to save up all your enthused, enthused juice for an episode. Ah, okay. I mean, I, I don't know if that was in my mind when I was texting you about it. I, what did I say? What did I say about it? Do you remember? Uh, you don't have you, to find out. You are, the thing I remember you said was that it, it made you feel nostalgic for a game, for the game as if you played it when you were sort of six. And obviously you didn't because it's only just come out, but the way it's crafted in just such a way that makes it feel like something from the early to mid nineties. Yeah. It's so, so well, well done. The music is, is really where it hits me hard in the, in the old nostalgia button. It's so good. The music. Evocative. Yeah. And that's actually almost word for word. What you said is this point that I was going to talk about and, and we'll come back to when we talk about the music. So uh, Sea of Stars, for anybody that doesn't know, is a game by Sabotage, is a game by Sabotage Studio. Uh, Sabotage made The Messenger uh, uh, several years ago. Several years ago? Yeah, ish. Pre-pandemic. That's, uh, that's our new line for, uh, <laughs> for like when things happen. So it's pre-pandemic, yeah. The Messenger. Yeah, I think it was 2018, and I should have looked it up, but I didn't because I was too busy thinking about this game instead. Um, yeah, it was made. It was made by Sabotage. Sabotage made the Messenger. The Messenger, if anyone doesn't know, is a Metroidvania that uh, has a what what people might consider a gimmick, whereby you can switch between two timelines, two time frames, and when you switch between the two time frames, one time frame is represented by eight bit graphics, and one one is represented by sixteen bit graphics. And it is both gorgeous and and amazing as a game. That like it's superb, incredible. Honestly, it's one I of the best we, games I've played for a long time. I think we talked about that before. That does ring a bell. Yeah, we will have done because I was playing it earlier this year in mm. preparation for Sea of Stars, and um, I I think I probably said something along the lines of I can't believe that I didn't play this sooner because I I uh, it's it's really great. It is it is good on every level, and um, I'd wanted to play it since it came out but it always just sort of found a different thing or a different yeah or it just wasn't the time so um that was that was one if, if people haven't played it yet uh if you have any inclination to do it drop whatever you're doing and go and play the messenger but listen to this first no oh no we do, stop we what you're doing we don't want go and play the messenger we don't want listener attention and then come back no not yet <laughs> If they haven't played the messenger, they should go away and play the messenger. That's it. 
Come on. All right. Okay. See you later, suckers. Sea of Stars is set in the same universe as The Messenger. Now, I haven't at this point, at the point that I've got to in Sea of Stars, I haven't really come across anything that makes it feel, oh, this is absolutely categorically set in the same universe as The Messenger. Uh, but I like the notion that the that sabotage of, 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 in their heads, this world is a world that's got history and it moves through um, not just hundreds of years, but actually century. Not not hundreds of years, but centuries, I was about to say. Not hundreds of years, but millennia. The two games are separated, I think, by a couple of thousand years. Okay. Uh, so there, there's reason, I guess, that they're, they're sort of distinct from one another. We the... talked only last week with Baldur's Gate and all the games that were also set in the Forgotten Realms. And games that I've not played, games I didn't know were set in the same area, but I really, really liked the idea of, of there being games a series of games also within the same universe or uh, geographical yeah. areas whatever it is i just think it's really cool me too uh, there might be things that i've overlooked or just not picked up on or uh, or there might be things to come that tie it more strongly into uh, what happens in the messenger or the or the characters or the world in the messenger but um as yet as it as of this moment i haven't found those having said that though the game stands solidly on its own two feet so i'm not i'm not sad at all it is its own thing and and what it is is absolutely sensational so i um i'm not missing those little nods uh, at all um the game sea of stars was kickstarted in 2020 which i don't no, I don't really follow Kickstarter. I only vaguely sort of dabbled with it when it was big, big, and I did back a couple. I did back a couple of video games. One of which was the is it Mighty Number no. Nine, the Mega Man like spiritual success to Mega Man that actually turned right. into a catastrophe and was cool. widely considered uh, one of the most boring games in the world. So Money well spent. I got that out of Kickstarter. Yeah, exactly. The other another thing that I backed on. On Kickstarter was something called Polygons, which they were thirteen dollars for for two. Uh, they <laughs> this is so boring. They are measuring spoons. They're kitchen measuring spoons, but they are made out of silicon. They have magnets in, and w- depending on where you squeeze the sides, they will turn into a particular shape and sized ta- uh, spoon. So, like you squeeze it at the at the end, it turns into a tablespoon. Then you squeeze it in the middle, and it turns into a half tablespoon. And you had a tablespoon and a teaspoon. So I backed those seven years ago, eight years ago, maybe, maybe even ten. I can't remember. Never had them. Never uh. had them. So um, yeah, I mean, they seem like a good idea because you can just slap them on your fridge when you're not using them, and, and they yeah. don't take up any space. But yeah, never got them. Uh, this was a successful, uh, a successful Kickstarter campaign because they delivered something, and the thing that they delivered, as I've said, is amazing. Um, the game itself is. Uh, what do you know anything about it other than what I told you? Uh, from what I understand, it's a 2D RPG that harks back to Final Fantasy VI, Secret of Mana, or them classics. Yeah, absolutely. That it's so it's a JRPG in in the vein of SNES classics, and the ones that Thierry Boulanger is uh, pointed towards. Thierry Boulanger is the director and designer, one of the designers um, on the game. Uh, the ones that he they have pointed towards most often in interviews that I've read or heard are uh, Chrono Trigger and uh, Mario RPG and Illusion of Gaia. If you Mario know Illusion RPG, of Gaia, 
being timely because the remake's coming out in a couple of months, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah, I mean, yes. So um, those those three. Did are you all play games, any of this? No, they're all games I've heard of. I know mm. are spoken of reverentially. Not played any of them. Ah, okay. Well, they are they are phenomenal. I I don't think that you really touched many SNES games. Is that right? SNES games were only uh, ones I played around friends' houses. So it was your kind of your the the, the staples like your Mario Worlds and. Mm. Yeah, ba- Batman Forever, things like that. Yeah. Uh, so both the JRPG uh, stuff and the and the SNES stuff is a little bit alien to you. However, mm-hmm. for me, it is um, definitely one of those. It's one of those genres on on that console that I really resonated with, like hard, and I grabbed whatever I could, wherever I could. So um, I I've I heard got. That. Thanks. Um, yeah. So uh, when you play Sea of Stars, if you've played those games, then they will certainly for me, Chrono Trigger and Mario RPG come through in in spades. But there's this general. We've talked in the past about um, like a general feel of Mega Driveness or a general mm-hmm. feel of Snesness. They both had very distinct feelings uh of or they had very distinct looks they had very distinct sounds and a lot of the time games made on that system or that system felt like they were made on those systems uh yep. in a way that it doesn't necessarily i don't know that you necessarily get the same thing now so people that are, are only familiar with more recent consoles maybe won't get that but certainly they had their own characters and styles uh, to them and that and that ran through multiple games by multiple studios which was an interesting thing certainly looking back it's an interesting thing uh, my contribution is going to be that well final fantasy 6 was jolly good when i played it back in the day it was jolly good when we played it relatively recently for the podcast so good good on them yeah <laughs> excellent that's good input thank you um well you silence through me again i don't like this uh, which parent do you prefer oh god um the parent trap. Which of your parents, mother or father, do you prefer? <laughs> I don't want to answer that. Neither. They're both the same. So both. Move on. We could be here all night. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just a silly we'll have thing to, carry to do. On. We'll have to carry on. It's not a silly thing to do. It's 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 a, it's a new it's a new aesthetic for the podcast. We're yes, trying well, something out. I really hope it gets dropped by next week. Just putting that out there. Uh, uh, we'll see. We'll see how successful it is this week, how how it resonates with the audience. The game itself is is JRPG, and obviously a big part of JRPGs is the story. So I'm going to give you a brief outline of of like the the first few moments or first few uh, beats of, of that story. So the game follows two children born on the summer uh, or winter solstice and their names are Valer and Zale, uh, which are, you know, very sort of, um, g- g- well, I'd say generic, but actually the, like they're anti-generic. They're specific. Uh, in, they're very fantastic, uh, yeah. sort of fantasy laden uh, as names. And, and they certainly feel like game fantasy names, uh, which, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting thing. Um, they are, as a result of being born on the solstices, they're they're given uh, lunar and solar magic. So Valer has lunar magic and, and Zale has solar magic. 
and they're brought up to become solstice warriors and only only people born on the uh, solstices are able to become solstice warriors. Solstice warriors are in, instrumental in a battle against the world's evil and that, that world's evil takes the form of the Fleshmancer who is an alchemist and that alchemist, I know, uh, that alchemist used their power to create a host of evil creatures known as dwellers, each of which is represented by a particular sor- a particular sorrowful state. So the... Don't like it. Yeah. Uh, at the outset of the game, only one dweller survives in the, in the world. So all of the other dwellers have been deaded off and there's just the one left. And if they can get rid of this one then everything will be hunky-dory and the world will be saved and nothing will ever go wrong again. Let me um, guess, I think, don't track it down and well, the world isn't saved and nothing becomes hunky-dory. Before I answer that, I think if the dweller... So if the dweller isn't destroyed, then the dweller can re... Uh, sort of bring back the, the Fleshmancer. The Fleshmancer has sort of gone away. So if the dweller doesn't get destroyed, then they can they can bring back this Fleshmancer. Yep. Um, the dweller that's left is the Dweller of Woe and... That is uh, the the task that's set for Valerian's Ale at the beginning of the game. They they grow up to become these Solstice Warriors, and they they are um, they are set the task of destroying the Dweller of Woe. Okay. Now I haven't yet met the Dweller of Woe, so I don't know the answer to that. However, right. uh, I would imagine that it's not all going to go as swimmingly as you'd hope it maybe That'd would. Be- very short game otherwise wouldn't it how much have you played it then to have, to have not got to that first major story beat about 10 hours wow okay yeah so i've done about 10 hours the game apparently is about 25 to 30 hours long that's how long oh. to beat's time so that's going to be a little bit um up in the air because it's a newish um release and it, it's not necessarily going to have a lot of uh times to aggregate across an, an average out but 25 to 30 hours and i've done 10 and it also depends to, go on sorry haven't quite got to kill the dweller of woe i am outside the gates of the mansion that the dweller of woe lives in so, so it also yeah, depends i suppose on how you play it because like uh tis the kingdom for example i went way off piece and didn't follow the main story bits for the majority mm. of the game so far about 100 hours i've only just kind of picked up the main story again i've just gone off and done like mm. exploring side quests and stuff so does all that sort of stuff reside here as well is that why you've you've been 10 hours in to some extent yeah it, it kind of does but also doesn't and that's one of the things that i w- was going to talk about anyway in a moment um this what i wanted to say what i wanted to start off by saying is that, that actually the story sounds somewhat like it's following genre uh, conventions and i think it is and I, and I think it's doing it on purpose um to to try and really uh to channel sort of conjure up yes exactly so a lot of like oftentimes the notion of of being generic is thought of as uh, as as a negative thing but actually i think sometimes when it's done really really well the genericness of a thing can actually be its biggest strength so um uh, you know like the best action films they tend to follow the the genre conventions mm. uh, or even set them sometimes and and it's the same here although it's not setting them it's following uh, nostalgic conventions that were set out by games of the of the 90s and it's very very self-aware it is it is aware that it's doing that you meet a band of pirates uh and the pirate captain is called captain cliche 
Great. Obviously not spelt in the in the standard way uh, that you'd spell captain. Uh, spell cap. Spell captain. Uh, cliche is to- totally standard, but captain. Oh, it's all over the place. Um, no, cl- cliche. K L E E S H A E or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so they and and that's one example. But there's lots of other ways that they are plowing the same furrow and knowingly plowing the same furrow. At the same time, I can I half expect them to maybe pop a twist in in some fashion that I'm not aware of yet because you know they made the messenger and the messenger it has that however if they just carry on plowing the same furrow I'm not going to be unhappy because they're doing such a good job of that mm-hmm. it you, you were talking about side quests and things one of the things that I really like about it actually is that it does have like these little off-piste moments where a character might say a thing or ask you to do a thing and you can or, or even just nod in the direction of doing a thing and it doesn't it, it has no quest log you know like the the modern way to do things is to pop a little note in a booklet and and you can go and check that and you can tick everything off like a checklist oh but yes I, yum 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 yeah well i i've got a handful of things that are on the go at the moment i i went to pick up it uh, to open a chest in somebody's house and the chest disappeared and said no no you can't have my chest until you have done something for my brother or something like that and it, it nods towards like there's this bigger story behind this chest but it hasn't then popped it in a little quest log for me to tick off or whatever it, it, i've got i've got to remember it and i i've got to sort of yeah, and I've got to oh. seek out whatever the mystery is going on there. Similarly, in a similar area, there was a person walking around on on top of a, a high, high bluff, and uh, they asked me for a particular thing, but I couldn't, um, I couldn't provide it because I didn't have it. So uh, once I get one of those things, I will be able to go back and talk to that person and progress that. And the the world, as far as I've got, the world is peppered with all of these little bits and pieces that suggest there's something else going on uh, or something else that you can pursue, but, but that you are going to have to come back to uh, once you sort of unravel the mystery and and are able to do that, which I I really enjoy. I really like that way of um, uh, presenting these side, side questy type things. And is it done like uh, Final Fantasy um, VI, sorry, where there's an overview map where you go into areas? Is it a series of screens that link up like on a Link's Awakening how how is it portrayed? All the yeah, the, the presentation presentation of the world is exactly what you just said. So there are like towns or spaces, areas, and those towns and spaces, towns and areas, they they have one way of being presented, which is uh, very much in the vein of a Final Fantasy or Chrono Trigger or any of those um, classic. JRPGs, um, and then when you leave that town or area, it zooms out to like a world view, and and you move from one town or area to the next. And whilst you're in that world view, you can do your camping and things yep. to to heal. Um, both are both of those views, both the sort of areas and the the zoomed out world view. Um, the presentation of them is superb. It, it's so it's so lovely. Um, Obviously, I've said about the story, the writing, I, I didn't say about the writing, but the writing's absolutely wonderful, which I would have expected given how good the messenger was. Um, the story and the writing together is one major area of strength for me. The graphics are, are then the, the next major area of strength. And um, they kind of come off as a souped up or super pretty 
version of what you might be used to. So your memories of those games, of Chrono Trigger and of Final Fantasy VI and of um, any other uh, SNES or, or even Mega Drive, because you played um, that French one. Soleil. Soleil, yeah, you played Soleil. Um, any of those things, I, I imagine that they get polished up in your memory and you remember them in a certain way. Well, this is kind of like the polished version of of your memory of those games. So actually it's super, really lovely. Um, yeah, the, the screenshots I looked at when you were initially telling me about it a couple of weeks ago, it, it does look really nice. Yeah, they're kind of, they're, they're divorced from the demands uh, and restrictions of the old technology. So they're capturing, I imagine, like if if you took Chrono Trigger and you made it now, what you'd get is something very similar to mm-hmm. um, in, in visuals and actually in, in sound design. You'd get something along the, along the lines of Sea of Stars. The fact that they aren't working within the restrictions or strictures of of uh, like the SNES means that what you actually get is is like these really really beautifully lavish renderings of of major uh, of amazing fantastical creatures and and um, and spaces. So um, the best ones that I've seen so far aren't actually things that you fight uh they're things that just exist as part of the world so um w- one of the first things that made me go oh wow and actually it was in the trailers but i'd forgotten about it and uh, and still got to have a little wow moment when it happened um the fast travel system is a giant golem that flings you across the map <laughs> you you cool. climb into a, a giant stone sphere and it just hurls you across the map and the way that that is animated the way that it is um captured in uh, pixel art is really super as so so much attention to tiny details it, it's lovely and then the second thing that's uh struck me is uh something called the sleeper so the sleeper is a dragon that uh at, at one point was a threat to to the whole of civilization or, or the whole of certain civilizations uh but now it sleeps coiled around the mountain that it that it tried to attack and uh, the mountain's been hollowed out and used to create a musical instrument that then keeps the the sleeper from waking up wow that's very um, fantastical isn't it yeah one of the one of the quests that you actually go on one of the main storyline quests is that there is a mage inside this uh inside this mountain and he started plugging up the holes that the that the music is played through and uh obviously if that isn't resolved then the sleeper will wake up again and and bad things will happen um that resolves in an interesting way in and of itself which ties into why i think that the storyline the writing is quite fun because I, I how, how bothered are, are you about spoilers yeah spoiler away okay so that mage uh he's like a wind mage he's very good at uh controlling wind um he's actually a really young kid from the village and he uh, gets because he's so good at magic he's kind of been ostracized and he's escaped into the mountain into the mine and built himself a base and he's you know like he hasn't been doing he hasn't been plugging up the, the holes on purpose it's it's kind of as uh part of his like f- uh, were uh his wind training. part of his playing well just part of his playing it on his own so yeah it's kind of, it's kind of a nice and slightly askew uh mm. situation to come across uh, the areas um, I've passed through are also similarly very beautifully rendered. Are you right? Uh, yeah, excuse me. Uh, you mentioned fighting uh, a couple of minutes ago. Is it turn-based? Oh, right then. Go on, man. Back in with you then. 
the areas that I pass through are really beautifully rendered as well. So like uh, there, there's been quite a lot of variety. Uh, one of the ones that stands out is uh, a, like a beachside area that is is full of little coral reefs and, and rock pools. And that's uh, not just really beautiful to look at, but actually the sound design in there is, is really lovely as well. Um, you were going to ask about uh, combat, so... I was curious uh, about combat. Yeah, I mean, I I was going to come to that at the very end before we oh, okay. sign well, off. So. It's up to you. Guide me through. Yeah, so uh, the, then uh, basically I, I've talked about I've talked about the story and the writing. I've talked about the graphics. And then the third part of the triangle of brilliance is the sound design. So um, I, and this is what I messaged you about because the sound, the, the music in it is captivating in a way that I haven't experienced for a long, long time from a game. And it, it makes this weird, it gives me this weird feeling of, uh, you know, I, I think you actually described it better than I'm about to, but this notion, this feeling that I've, been here before in these places and that I've heard these noises before heard these heard these songs before and that I'm hearing them again a very long time afterwards like it's a weird uh, area of nostalgia and also they've managed to do that to me without me actually ever having experienced them in the first place I think there's a fra- well um, there's a phrase it's in the liner notes for uh, Modern Life is Rubbish 1993 Blur album but I think it's Douglas Copeland who it's legislated nostalgia and it's the phrase that describes like a sense of something that we've gone through uh, as a collective but we haven't actually experienced and blurred linked it to on, on a sunday the feeling of having like a sunday roast and the tiredness that comes after it and that the sense of work being the following day but that, and, and we all kind of we know what that feels like but most of the time we don't really go through that feeling yeah so um I, I just Googled it very quickly, and the, the term is defined as nostalgic images or ideas presented in such a way that even people who weren't born yet seem to remember that mm. time. So I think you could probably apply that to uh, like the the world, the Second World War or something like this. this uh, I wouldn't call it wistfulness, but there's this sense of shared uh, understanding mm. whereby certainly our generation can probably conjure up an image however right or wrong based on the shared memories uh yeah. of, of our of our uh our, our mum our, our nanas and granddads I, I guess it would be or great nanas and granddads and that's what um, this is doing it's, for you it's it's creating that nostalgia for something you've not actually experienced before because you didn't play this game when when it was out it, on the snares back in the early 90s because it wasn't it's half that yeah it kind of is that but also it's not a shared thing so or maybe it is maybe maybe other people are having this same response but um i mean it's an interesting it's an interesting thing anyway not something that i can think i've ever really experienced in the same way as this as i'm getting from this um one of the reasons might actually be because um one of the people that worked on this game is uh, yasunori masuda who is uh the musician who created basically the sound of chrono trigger and ah, um, nice. a, a bunch of other games actually Z- the zeno series you know like zeno gears and yep. uh, more recently zeno blade uh, they are he, he created the music for those as well uh, and then again a, a series called shadow hearts did you ever play shadow hearts on the playstation 2 shadow hearts and shadow hearts covenant no ah well you will at some point because they're on my list oh. so um 
It sounds yeah, like he, this, this he's game's... working on this. We've talked recently about this a few times, and maybe in episodes, I can't quite remember off my head, but there's this whole thing more recently about games where they're doing what came before, but in like a better, more modern way. The example that springs to mind for me, just because it's uh, something I had a lot of experience with, is the theme hospital to two-point hospital link. The two-point yes. hospital is an updated version of all those man sims that you played in the early to late, uh, in the mid to late 90s. This is mm. an updated version of, and Two-Point Hospital did what what could have been done back then had the uh, the computers had the power to do so. It would have done all those yeah. things, I imagine. This is doing the same thing for JRPGs from the early to mid-90s. Yes, and doing a, an absolute sensational job of it. Yeah, it's absolutely that. Like, that. I think uh, certainly the, the industry has, for, for understandable reasons, it has this desire or drive to always be on the cutting edge of everything and that certainly reached a crescendo going out of the 16-bit into the 32 and 64-bit eras in that mid-90s period where 2D everything got left behind because 3D was the new kid on the block and everybody wanted to do 3D and um, you know realism became a a major hot hot uh, hot potato topic issue not hot potato, more, more like just the thing that everyone was striving for, even though it was completely impossible with the 3D that uh, that existed then. Well, we talked um, in the last episode. And now, actually. I, I, I can't remember which number off the top of my head, but Worms, we, you know, how Sony mm. of America, I think it was, uh, refused to publish it in America because it wasn't 3D. And eventually yeah. they, they backed down on that. But the fact that he was, was even on the table is baffling. Yeah, there was a huge backlash, it, it feels, or, or just not, not a backlash, but a move away from that 2D-ness. And uh, certain games did book it, and some uh, some quite surprising ones, like GTA. You know, everybody had a copy of GTA, it seems, but uh, it was 2D top-down perspective. Um, the, the general trend, though, was towards uh, 3D and away from 2D. And what got lost there is that actually with with that technical progression and with that increased power, you can do so much more. And that's where we're sort of coming back round to now. We're we're going back, certainly the indie space, which Sabotage exists within. The indie space is embracing what we we had and they are uh, working with it in new ways that, that people for too long uh, never even thought to. And they are taking those excellent excellent examples of games from the 90s even the 80s um and they are polishing them up and making something brilliant with them now um there's also probably this is exactly what's going on here there's also probably an element of the people that are making games now are the people who are the same age as you and i and Mm. as they become developers they're looking back on their childhoods and thinking actually i really enjoyed that let's have a stab at that again but do it better yeah there's elements of pop will eat itself or the 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 way we've we talked before about how tv film industry is they they look it's that 30 year cycle isn't it and we're kind yes, of like, i guess at the moment cycle. we're, we're, we're 2023 we're looking back at 1993 aren't we so it yeah, all, all ties mad. together yeah absolutely absolutely it does um yeah i mean whatever magic is going on it's certainly working for me and uh it, it the, the entire the complete package is just so well polished so well realized that uh yeah i'd recommend it to anybody it's it's such a good experience um on the on the music front i didn't even 
talk about everything like that it, it does do that to me like it captures something weird that i've never experienced the legislative nostalgia or whatever element mm-hmm. of it is is probably the most impactful thing like i was like really blown away that it was able to make me feel that it was very strange um it it is in in and of its own right in and of itself it is excellent music like i could probably listen to this to chill out and the the music they've gone above and beyond uh you do get this in in plenty of games these days but this is a small studio pulling off some really excellent work and they um they've created night and day versions for each of the themes in the game so you get a slightly different variation when you when you are moving through an area in the nighttime uh to what to what you get in the daytime um so and just then, pick one up, and there's a there's a night and day cycle as well. Yeah, it's it's a mechanic in the game actually uh, right. that you can use to solve some minor puzzles um, and maybe some other things as well. Uh, I wasn't going to talk too much about it because it's that's fine. It's, uh, extra detail, but thank you for for bringing it in. Um, the third the third element of the music, or yeah, the third third element the third presentation of the music is uh, when you get to a particular tavern, you can you can hear a different version of those songs again that's played by a pirate band right so they they have uh they have a sea shanty that it's not sea shanties it's it, it's a jaunty thing it's a jaunty version of these songs that you've already heard in two in potentially two different ways uh played on a concertina and a double bass and things it's a really great. it's a really great thing that they just need, didn't need to do and you can cycle through the songs like an in-game jukebox as well so um like it's a totally unnecessary but really excellent uh addition to the game any questions before we not at all no no um so another aspect of you know like hitting the genre uh beats a lot of jrpgs as a general rule they have they have like a side game you know all of the final fantasies seem to have a, a side game you know triple I mean? triad in eight and blitzball you, in yeah. ten exactly so this one has one of those it has a tavern based mini game called wheels which is uh designed again according to Harry belanger it's designed to um just give you a moment of respite between the bigger story beats so every time you see a table there aren't they don't have them everywhere you go which means that when you do see one you kind of actually do want to play it because you haven't been oversaturated with it um and and it is a fun little diversion, which is exactly how it was designed. And it's based around um, this notion that a character called the Watchmaker invented this game, and it's all mechanical. So you you have like a tabletop, and each player has two characters that you can then use to attack the other character. And you have a set of uh, like jack jackpot wheels. What are they called? I don't know. Um, what do they call those things? Things that spin around in like a one-armed bandit machine. Let's say that one-armed bandit that, machine. That, they'll, type they'll have wheels. a name, but I don't know what yeah. it is. I'm not a favourite of that jazz. You have a bunch of them, and you can um, you you spin them, then you can choose which ones to keep, and then they assign attack power to your different characters, and you can level up your characters. And over the course of about five minutes, you play this game called Wheels, and it's it is a really fun little game. And each time you win it, you get a little prize to then help you to play Wheels in the future even better so maybe, called uh, wheels. That's, maybe that's why it's called wheels uh, maybe uh it's it's a nice little diversion 
um, which also lends itself to this to building this genre mm-hmm. uh, genre feel. Um, there. So, battle system. You you tried to tried to ask me about the battle system, and I shoot poo pooed you. Um, because I wanted to talk about it in the context of a, another quote from Thierry Boulanger. Uh, the quote is uh, in an interview. I can't. I'm not entirely certain where the interview was. I think it was RPG site. Um, I'll find out and we can post it at, at some point. But the okay. in the interview, uh, they were talking about like why make this game or what what they had in mind when they were making this game. So one of the things that he says is the first thing uh, when trying to modernize a thing is to consider where is the tedium. Now, I don't know what your experience, certainly with JRPGs, I don't know what your experience is, but like the notion of grinding comes, is very front and center with with JRPGs. And um, the notion that things can be a little bit long-winded or a little bit too drawn out or um, a little bit too, in Belanger's words, tedious, I, that's that's a very firm part of the genre for me. Like mm. I certainly, even games that I love, I certainly remember parts of them feeling, oh, a bit of a drag. But grinding to me is one of those things where it's it's optional. You don't have to do it. But I never I never really particularly minded it because it was no. I used to whack music on and just sit and just switch off a bit because you're sort of doing it almost automatically. Which I realize yeah. as, as I'm saying it doesn't sound very fun. No, that's the point. I think. Why? Why is it in there if uh, <laughs> if it's not actually that fun? Like you're mm-hmm. having to create your own diversion with the music in order to in order to make it engaging. Although it's then the music that's engaging you, and I don't know. There's a whole thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, interesting point. Yeah. Um. Certainly, with as as games have sort of been redefined and and re thought uh, reconsidered one of the things that people have tried to do is truncate the experience uh, or or remove those unnecessary elements that are uh, bogging the game or the genre down. And this is uh, one of the things that I think I really appreciate and enjoy actually about Sea of Stars because it it's doing this. And because you've got, because I've got this like baseline of, of old games and also because it's built on the back of those old games and using some of the systems from those old games, um, it's it's very apparent how they've tried to use the existing elements in new ways, or to use those existing elements to enhance the genre as opposed and to un- undermine this notion that tedium is just a baked in as- aspect of JRPGs. Okay, and not all not all JRPGs even now, like modern JRPGs, not even all of those are embracing these ideas. So there are three areas that I, uh, well, no, sorry, there are two areas that I, I'm going to talk about. And then a third one that's kind of like a, a bonus uh, thing. Uh, the first one, are you be happy to know, is the battle system. Turn-based? So it's, it's a turn-based battle system. Yeah. And they are fairly renowned for being easy to get bogged down in and, and having to go through reams and reams of menus to find your fire aga uh, <laughs> or, or whatever um attack that you want to use the battle system here is a combination of chrono triggers battle system and mario rpg's battle system so chrono trigger has this uh, combo system where if you've got the right characters in your party 
those characters at a certain point will be able to pull off a special move together you can have double like duo moves or you can have trio trio moves here certainly at the point that i've got to anyway uh you you can do the same thing like each each pair of characters might have a move that they share that they can execute if they're in the party together okay um and then the mario rpg aspect is to do with timed bonuses so you played mario rpg any kind, yeah. any Mario RPG, Paper Mario or anything? Mm, I played some of the Paper Mario on the Wii a long time That's ago. That's Super Paper Mario, which is quite different. So yeah. um, okay, it so. won't be that. So I, I'll explain very briefly then. So in the battles for Mario RPGs, uh, if you, at the right time, when you're attacking or defending, press the A button or, any, or whichever button, you can attack more harshly or defend more staunchly um increase your attack power or increase your defense power and that's that's used here uh to make sure that the player is constantly engaged with the battle system there is also an element of um a rhythm basedness to it so uh one of valer's first superpowers or, or yeah, high-powered magic attacks is a moonerang. So it's a boomerang that you whack it, you throw at somebody, it comes back to you, and if you time your uh, press right, it, you'll throw it back and hit them again, and then again and again and again and again, and for right. as long as and it'll get faster and faster and faster. Uh, similarly, Zales uh, got like a solar. Can't remember what it's it's called, but he has this solar bomb that he can um, make make big and then throw. But you do that by holding down A and, and it'll pulse bigger, bigger, bigger. And if you hit if you let it go at the right time, you'll get the most powerful attack and so on. So all the way through those ba- battles, uh, all the way through each of the battles, you're always having to still be engaged with what's happening and, and because you're in control of it. It's not just a, it's not, not just, just a choosing, flashy. Not just choosing things off a menu. Yeah. And then seeing a flashy, a flashy effect. Uh, and that and that makes the battles so much better. And also, they aren't. It's not like so far, at least. Even the bosses haven't been damage sponges. They haven't had ten thousand eight HP or anything like that. It's been each battle has been quite timely in in how long it takes to complete. So again, uh, so being it, being considerate of the player's attention and interest in. It's around me a lot of. Um, Again, another game we talked about in the relatively relative recent past is Undertale, where Toby Fox yeah. talks about how he was trying his best to think about anything that would make the player's enjoyment and engagement go down. He got rid of them. the thing he cited was side quests that he, he didn't want them because he yeah. wanted the player to focus on the main game. That's really yep. true here is that they're, they're trying to make sure the player is as engrossed as possible at all points, which why would you not want that? Let's be honest. Mm, I mean, it, it's also respecting the player's time. I think yeah. something that JRPGs tend not to do is respect player's time. And they, they create these massive, massive, what are supposedly challenges in the form of battles with enemies that have got 100,000 or even a million HP. The Omega weapons are the ones that are always in my mind. Yeah, Emerald um, Weapon was what I was thinking of when you were talking about like, yeah. the long flash animations because it made me think of using the Knights of the Round materia. And how long that Phoenix takes. And, oh, yeah, because you'd, you'd, you'd trigger that and then it would be a, a minute 
or something yeah and then you then do it go again because you paired it with the one that, that replicated it and then it go again and just oh uh. and also because i never yeah. defeated emerald weapons so it's, it's real sticky my craw sorry sorry to bring it up but well, he um, talks about harrowing memories at the start of the, of the episode that's that's one. one of them good i'm glad to have finally got there it's it's definitely i mean i remember enjoying those like the the bombast and the spectacle of final fantasy 7's uh summon system uh, and and that's actually what I enjoyed about Final Fantasy X as well. Like, there's definitely something to enjoy there. Uh, at the same time, I think certainly as a 35 year old uh, with limited amounts of time, the fact that I don't have to sit through a minute long sequence, uh, and also that I'm always engaging with this battle system, is mm. very much appreciated. So the tedium potential tedium there has been negated you can also actually uh, thinking about it there's been a number of times where i've been able to sidestep entire battles so like okay that that all of the enemies are on the screen which is true to chrono triggers design and you engage in a battle by walking up to them i've i've found multiple times i've been able to go around mobs of of enemies mm. and and just progress so whether that'll bite me in the backside later or not i don't know because um, I've been able to do it. Did, I did sometimes have those in in six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Mm. Like where I, I just want to explore. I want to get from A to B. I don't want to suddenly have to have that whoosh as I go into a random turn based battle. So I like the fact they're respecting the players with that as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's another thing that I wasn't going to talk about, but I will. I might as well. Um, there's this entire like si- there's this entire system which revolves around buying relics from shops and each relic gives you a like an in-menu boost to the game so one of the ones that i've bought gives you automatic timing on your weapon so if you can't be asked with um with doing the time and stuff if you actually just want to strip that away you can for for like a bit of a uh you know, you maybe won't get 100% of the bonus that you'd get from timing it well, but you'll get 50%, but you also won't have to time it yourself. Uh, so you can you can buy these relics and you can turn them on or off in the game. And then the customise the gameplay to how you... And that reminds to me how of... how you want um, it. I don't know how much you've watched of the Mario Wonder stuff. They've got this badges system where you yeah. can then customise and mm. make the game easier or certain levels easier for yourself, which I'm, I'm quite excited about because I think that mm. sounds like a very interesting system. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's yeah, there's some there's definitely some similarities there. Um so that's one way that they've sort of uh, tried to eliminate tedium and the second way is with the way that you traverse the world. Uh you can clamber this maybe won't I don't know if, because you've got a limited experience of of playing JRPGs in that time period it might not resonate with you but uh, you can clamber up and down rock faces and there's there's plenty of them where you can just move up and down rock faces. Uh, you can jump into and swim through most bodies of water. Uh, it feels like it feels like a very open and permissive traversal system. Uh, it's not just walking through a rock corridor in a in a mm-hmm. cave uh, and yeah. until you get to a, a you know a doorway or, or whatever. Um, and also, rather than send you like on a long and meandering one way corridor in that vein, um, that you, you often actually also you have to then walk back through to get back out. Um, the game is really smart in offering a, a range of different types of shortcuts. So sometimes it'll just be like, you have to follow it this way, but once you get to the top and do a certain thing, you'll just be able to jump back down off the 
off a ledge to where you started yeah. um and and then it also uh, and then another one was where you get to a certain point and instead of having to go walk all the way back through your stuff you float down the river um and you, you that one was slightly longer and you'd have to f- battle enemies on the way but it was still like it was novel and new and you didn't have to repeat mm. stuff for the sake of getting back to where you wanted to be um there's there, yeah there's kind of no backtracking there there will be backtracking but the backtracking at the point that i've got to hasn't really kicked in and from what i understand it won't be something that's forced on you it'll be something that you get to choose to do so you might actually i talked about little mysteries that are seeded around i definitely want to go back and figure out what some of those were and that will be a choice that i'm able to make mm. as opposed to being forced to make and that all too often happens in in this genre where you just you have to go back to yeah. to different places. Uh, the the last one is the the last thing that I really enjoy about this game, um, and that I think is tedium aware. Uh, it it has like these little dungeon areas, so there there's special places that you have to go to to hit story beats. And this first off, um, they are kind of Zelda style, like old Zelda style dungeons where you have to engage with puzzles to then uh, get yourself in front of the big bad boss and take out the big bad boss. And over the course of completing this dungeon, you might actually be given a special item that will help you to traverse the dungeon. And then Again, you can Zelda. use that tra- to traverse around the world. Those dungeons so far, what I'm calling dungeons, they they haven't really been more than thirty or forty minutes long. Okay. And JRPGs certainly, I feel like when they're trying to be bombastic, when they're trying to really make the story hit, they can do that in uh, in quite time heavy, time demanding ways. And that's that's something that, uh, in all respects, but especially with these dungeons, uh, Sea of Stars is is avoiding completely. The bloat. Which is great, Tim. No. Not at all. So that's Sea of Stars. I mean, uh, you do actually have it. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's on Game Pass, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, so I could download it right now. You could. I mean, if if it wasn't for the fact that it's already been an hour, so apologies for that, but um, if it wasn't for the fact that it's been an hour, I would suggest maybe playing it uh, and, and seeing what you think. But, um, you know, we don't normally do that for these episodes. No, I'll tell you what, though, I mm-hmm. will do. How about that? Because it does sound really good. Yeah, that good. sounds good. And it's available it's okay. on Game Pass, which is why, John, uh, is why Chris has got it. And it's actually also available on PlayStation Plus. So if you've got a PlayStation yeah. or an Xbox or PC Game Pass uh, or, or whatever, you can get it on any of those services. It's actually the first game, I believe. It's the first game to simultaneously launch on Xbox Game Pass and PlayStation Plus nice. on the day that it... it release like day one if you if it if one wasn't to have those how much is it i haven't even looked in this in this glorious age of why would you exactly yeah well if if you're Um, interested in game pass then go and look yourself you lazy so-and-so yeah for god's sake that's not what we're here for definitely go play it though it's really really good yeah cool that's it stars i'm yeah, I, I will. I will check it out once I've uh, once I've done Hyrule and all my quest in there. All right, deal. 
deal. Right, well, thank you very much for talking about that. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed, remember to come join us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and like, share, subscribe, rate, and review, please. Yes, please. Thank you for sticking to the end. And we'll see you again next week for another episode. Bye. See you later.